Hello everyone, it's Dr. Cassie and I want to thank you for joining us for today's podcast, which is sponsored in part by Zoetis. Today we're speaking with Dr. Margaret Gruen about recognizing osteoarthritis pain in cats. Cats are a pain to diagnose, pun intended. They're so stoic and they hide all their symptoms until there's really a problem and then we're left treating much later in the disease process than we may have liked. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be especially true when it comes to arthritis. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Gruen here to help us learn more about recognizing the signs of osteoarthritis in our feline friends. Dr. Gruen graduated with her DVM from the University of Illinois before going on to do her internship, residency, and PhD at North Carolina State University. After finishing her PhD, she also spent two years as a postdoctoral scholar and co-director of the Canine Cognition Center at Duke University. She's now a board-certified behaviorist and assistant professor of behavioral medicine at North Carolina State University. During her PhD, Dr. Gruen focused on the quantification of pain behaviors in cats with degenerative joint disease, and she has a strong interest in understanding pain behaviors, specifically the intersection between pain and cognition. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to check out Dr. Gruen's web conference on Vetfolio, where she goes into even greater detail on the topic. But you guys aren't here to listen to me, so I'll turn it over to Dr. Gruen. Dr. Gruen, welcome. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I really am excited to talk with you guys today. I really do have a love for cats and a passion for understanding what they're trying to tell us. And this can really sometimes be difficult, especially when cats have chronic pain, such as the chronic pain associated with degenerative joint disease or osteoarthritis. There are lots of reasons why this is difficult and why owners don't recognize pain in their cats. And there are two that I think are especially important. First, cats with DJD-associated pain show some signs of pain that are different from the way that dogs with OA present. For example, most cats don't limp, which is a sign that owners are used to looking for. Cats often develop bilateral disease, making them slow down generally or resist certain activities rather than presenting with a limp. We also don't ask cats to perform the same activities that we ask dogs to. We don't take them out for walks on a leash, or at least not very often, and we don't ask them to hop up into the car. These are often activities where a dog owner might be able to see a change in their dog's behavior and don't have that opportunity with their cats. Second, and really important, I think that often owners have an idea of what pain looks like that is really shaped by more acute pain signs. So when they picture pain, they're thinking, that they should be looking for vocalization, growling, changes in eating. These signs can certainly be associated with pain, but are much more frequent in high-level pain, not the daily chronic pain of DJD. If cats were showing signs like that, constant vocalization, growling, I think it would mean that we had missed a chance to treat those cats before they reached that stage. So we need to help shift owners to understanding the more subtle behaviors associated with DJD pain. Another reason that's often discussed is that cats hide their pain. It's true that cats are mesopredators. They're not at the top of the food chain, but they're also not at the bottom. So they can show some behaviors typical of both predators and prey. But while I believe this is true, that there may be some advantage to not overtly showing pain, cats do show behavioral signs associated with pain and behavioral changes with that pain. We just need to know what they are and train owners to be looking for them. Research has shown that cat owners want to do what's best for their cats, and once they're aware of degenerative joint disease and behavioral signs, they can monitor for these and will make appointments to come and see their veterinarians and get care for their cats. So why is this important? 
Well, despite advances in understanding chronic pain in cats in the veterinary field, DJD and associated pain remain underdiagnosed in cats. Two independent studies showed that a majority of cats over 10 years old will have radiographic signs of degenerative joint disease, with the burden increasing with increasing age. Around half of these cats will have clinical signs of pain associated with the disease. This means there are a lot of cats out there with chronic DJD-associated pain that aren't receiving treatment through pain control or environmental management. This untreated chronic pain can have many negative effects, including affecting the human-animal bond and relationship with other pets. These effects are often due to changes in the cat's mood and tolerance of handling that can be associated with chronic pain, especially important on the, the effects on the cat's ability to perform their activities of daily living and then on their quality of life. Particularly important activity of daily living for cats is the ability to move in vertical space. One of cats' best defenses and enrichment is their ability to get up onto couches, windowsills, cat trees, etc., look outside, see the birds. When a cat's life becomes more horizontal due to discomfort, their quality of life really suffers. So if we know that chronic DJD-associated pain in cats is common, how can we help owners be looking for the behaviors that would tell them it's time for a visit? Or how can we have them primed to be watching for behaviors that they can tell us about or show us using video when they come in for exams? Well, fortunately, we now have some tools that can help us with this assessment and some ways that we can engage cat owners in monitoring their cat's health. We need this engagement because cats definitely don't show us all that we would want to see while in the clinic. When we see cats, we often don't see them at their best and certainly don't regularly get to see them move through their routine behaviors like jumping up or going up or downstairs. So I'm going to spend some time telling you about a few of the tools that we use and that are available through NC State's website for clinical metrology instruments. These include the Musculoskeletal Pain Screening Checklist, the Feline Musculoskeletal Pain Index, and the client-specific outcome measures. Also, we'll talk about having owners take videos of cats performing their activities of daily living. This can give us so much information about how the cat is doing in their home environment. Obviously, these tools should all be used to build upon a thorough behavioral history, actively listening to the cat owner, and feline-friendly handling techniques that improve our chances of being able to see the cat move around in the room and our ability to read the cat's behavior during the exam. So let's start with the screening checklist. The Musculoskeletal Pain Screening Checklist, or MIPSI, is the newest instrument that we've designed. This was designed using data from the prevalence study of 100 cats across different age groups. Importantly, owners of these cats were not specifically aware of OA or DJD in cats. They believed they were coming in for a health screening, so had not been primed to be thinking about degenerative joint disease. After screening, cats were categorized as having degenerative joint disease or not having degenerative joint disease based on their radiographs and their orthopedic pain scores. We then looked at the percentage of owners of cats with DJD and cats without DJD who rated their cats as impaired on a visual analog scale for each of the activities that we asked them about. Those activities primarily dealing with mobility and activity had a higher percentage of owners with cats with DJD rating their cats as impaired. There were other activities where owners of cats with DJD rated their cats as impaired, but these didn't distinguish as well between the groups. 
those activities were ones like use of the litter box or aggressiveness on handling, spontaneous vocalization. For these activities, there are other social and temperamental features that can affect how cats behave. So while important, they did not distinguish between the groups. We then selected those questions that were best able to distinguish the DJD from the non-DJD cats and began testing the sensitivity and specificity of these questions as a group. In order to have a clinically useful checklist, we continued to remove questions with the lowest sensitivity and specificity until we had reached a set of six questions with adequate sensitivity and specificity. In owners with no knowledge of OA in cats, based on our work, this checklist should identify 55% of them with almost no false positives, so it has very high specificity. We then compared these results to a group of owners who had come in for OA or degenerative joint disease therapeutic trials. So these are owners who are aware of OA and degenerative joint disease and coming in with their cat. We then compared these results to a group of owners who had come in specifically for an OA or degenerative joint disease therapeutic trial. So these are owners that we consider aware of or informed about DJD. Using the checklist items, we would see almost 100% of those cats identified. So in owners with previous knowledge of OA, our sensitivity improves dramatically with no loss in specificity. We believe this highlights the gap that education about OA in cats can bridge so we can help engage cat owners. So while 55% of affected cats may not seem like a lot, when we consider that in the light of the current rate of diagnosis for DJD and associated pain, this is actually a huge improvement in detection. In addition, when this is coupled with education about the behaviors owners should be watching for and increased awareness about DJD and associated signs, our ability to screen for these cats should improve even more. This checklist is available through the North Carolina State University Clinical Metrology Instruments website, but has also been incorporated into a checklist that's available at catoachecklist.com or through the new scienceofoapain.com. These websites have included the questions from this checklist as well as questions based on the work by Jackie Reed about the emotional, affective aspects of chronic pain, which are critically important to the quality of life. The checklist available on these websites can be completed by owners before they come in for an appointment or while they're waiting in an exam room. It even includes some animations that can help owners see the difference in activities between cats who are healthy and cats with osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease. So once we have owners complete the screening, which they can do before they come in, or again, while they're waiting in the room, we can use that information to start a conversation with the owners about what has changed in their cat. We can also use a positive finding from the checklist to trigger a follow-up with a more extensive tool, such as the Feline Musculoskeletal Pain Index, or FMPI. The FMPI was also rigorously developed. 100 randomly selected cats across all age groups were selected to come in for a health screening, and owners were asked about their cat's behavior, and the cats were evaluated for joint pain and radiographic signs of degenerative joint disease. From these results, two extreme groups were formed, those with DJD and those without, and the investigators then looked at the questions or behaviors that differentiated these groups. These populations also formed the basis of the checklist, but originally formed the basis for the feline musculoskeletal pain index. They whittled these questions down and tested their form for readability, ease of use, and other related features. The final instrument, the feline musculoskeletal pain index, 
has been used in many studies of treatments for DJD-associated pain in cats and has been shown to be responsive, meaning that it can measure improvement in cats who are treated with an analgesic versus a placebo. We suggest this tool as the next in the evaluation of cat pain because it gives the owners and veterinarians a starting point for assessing severity and for monitoring treatment. This tool includes a number of activities and is scored on a zero to four scale from impossible to normal, where a higher score indicates more impairment. Having this score on hand in the record can give you a quickly accessible number that we can use to monitor on subsequent visits. The feline orthopedic exam is the next step in the process of diagnosing cats with DJD and associated pain. Details of that are beyond the scope of this podcast, but include performance testing, so watching the cat move or jump as much as he or she is willing to do, assessment of muscle mass and atrophy, and assessment of sensitivity, and then flexion and extension of joints to evaluate for pain, crepitus, or effusion. Areas where pain or discomfort are found can then be radiographed to support the diagnosis of degenerative joint disease. While the overlap between radiographic signs and clinical pain is not perfect in cats or in dogs or in humans, this is an important step in the diagnostic process. In addition to the feline musculoskeletal pain index, another monitoring option that can be useful is the client-specific outcome measures tool. In setting up this tool, owners are asked about three specific signs that their individual cat shows impairment in performing. This can be engaging for the owners because they select those behaviors that are most salient to them and that may be the most easy for them to monitor. This should be as tied to a place and time as possible and should be phrased so that they can be rated on a scale for how much difficulty has your cat had performing the following activities. For example, if an owner has noticed that their cat has trouble clearing the jump onto the couch, so they hit with the tops of their back feet as they jump, she should think about when she's most likely to notice this and phrase the activity as something like clearing the jump onto the couch at night when coming to sit with me. This allows her to watch her cat perform the same activity over time and triggers her to be watching for that activity. We can use these activities for monitoring progression and response to treatment. The last thing we'll talk about is owner video. Because cats often don't show us the range of their behaviors when in the clinic, this can be an enormous help in assessing how cats are moving through their environment. It can also help us to advise owners on environmental modifications that may help their cats. For example, we may see that cats are having difficulty with moving across a hardwood floor, and the addition of a rug or mat in that area may help them to walk more comfortably. But Asking owners for video without guidelines can end up with a lot of footage that isn't helpful and may be time-consuming. We want owners to provide us with video of specific behaviors that we can monitor consistently across many cats. I recommend asking owners for video of their cats walking, jumping up, jumping down, going up and down the stairs if they have stairs, and playing. When we as veterinarians see these behaviors over and over again, we can get a good idea of what's normal for cats, what the range of behaviors look like for cats, and when owners see these same behaviors over time, they can use them to recognize how their cat is feeling. That's it for this summary of tools that we can use for screening for and monitoring degenerative joint disease and associated chronic pain in cats. I hope you'll listen to the other webinars about the treatment options for cats with DJD and associated pain and the new exciting treatments on the horizon. Thanks so much for listening. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Gruen, and thanks everyone for joining us. And thank you to Zoetis for sponsoring this event. If you'd like to find out more about this and other podcasts, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.